0: All right. well to our guests, I too just want to welcome you. Thanks for being here this morning. My name's Tim, and I too am one of the pastor elders here at Trinity, and it is a joy to be with you. A couple things before we dive into Luke chapter 2, which was already read, but um, if you're interested in a Christmas Eve service, some of you have asked about that. Um, We want to recommend Christmas Eve service at uh, Crosswalk Community Church. It's on the north end of Titusville, uh, kind of think Garden Street, Carpenter Street, somewhat that corner. So um, they'll, they will be having a service this evening at 6 to 7 o'clock. So if you're looking for a Christmas Eve service, that would be great. We'd love to uh, have you join them this evening. And then also... Um, Some news Uh, so my son is back there in the booth this is this is Tim if he would stand and my soon-to-be daughter-in-law is here signing if she would stand (laughs) so a little thing happened last night all right so congratulations guys congratulations You didn't know you're going to have to sign your own, uh, your own congratulation. Fantastic. Now we celebrate with you. Yeah. And then also, um, well, a lot of you are asking, uh, yeah, we've got a grandbaby due yesterday. And so far, I don't know. Hey, guys, I think you're still at home, right? Like, so, um, yeah, any day, any day now is good. So that's exciting. But uh, also, I do want to just welcome and greet the kids. And it's good. It's good to have you guys with us in the auditorium for the preaching of the word. And so I just want to encourage you children. Well, first of all, great job. All right. You guys did a fantastic (laughs) job. And just seems appropriate that you guys would open the service this morning. And I love that. Um, But I also just want to encourage you, lean in. Um, This can be challenging, listening to this guy preach, all right? But I just encourage you, lean in and seek to um, listen as we preach the word of God. You know, on the day of Christ's birth, there was no Christmas Eve service the night before. There were no lights or crowds. There were were some shepherds that we're going to read about. Um, But other than that, humanity missed it. Entirely missed it. Our attempt over these past four weeks, what we call the Advent season, is to help us and ensure that we don't miss it. So today actually we'll conclude our Advent series, and it's titled The Glorious Day. And so we began the series um, with this, from the perspective of the prophet. The glorious day was prophesied. And we preach from Isaiah. And then we preach from the perspective of the angel. The glorious day was announced to Mary. And then last week, Christian preached the glorious day was sung, sung by Mary. Well, today we want to cover just the birth narrative itself. On the glorious day, the glorious King was born. The glorious King brought to us glorious truths that make a glorious difference in life. Let's pray, and we're going to dive in. Father God, we ask for your help this morning. Um, for, for all of us in the room, young and old, help us. Lord, it's not only the children who struggle to listen, but all of our minds can be dull to these truths because, as Rick already said, we pe- have become so familiar with them. So, Lord, I pray that you would quicken our hearts and our spirit this morning, God, to hear your word preached in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's reread what Amelie has already read. But the first verses there were in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. In those days, a decree went from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. We'll pause there. Luke sets this day in a historical context. Did you hear how he, he introduces us to this? He says, in those days, a decree in those days, in, in what days? A decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Or we could say this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem because there was a Caesar who had power. And he could make decrees of such authority that if he said, go here, you went there. You did what, what, what he decreed. Augustus was a powerful ruler who had the authority to make such decrees. People had to register. In their hometown, Joseph has to return home back to Bethlehem and register because there was a ruler in the Roman Empire and his name was Caesar Augustus and he had decreed it to be so. It could also be read like this. In those days, a decree went out from the most powerful man on the face of the earth, Caesar Augustus. This Caesar was the first one declared as emperor of Rome. He ushered in a period called the Peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. He is a lord of sorts who says, do this and it must be done. Rome was powerful, feared by its enemies, and Caesar Augustus was its ruler, its emperor. He was the great nephew of Julius Caesar who conquered peoples and rose to great power. Well, Augustus means holy. Holy. Meaning this Caesar was no common man. He was holy. He was set apart in the minds of the people, in his rule and his reign. He is above all others. A sovereign king, a ruler, revered and powerful. Only a god small g, a God could carry the name Augustus. Luke is showing us the backdrop to the birth of Jesus. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. He's giving us this context, this backdrop. Jesus comes in a day when Caesar was being declared, ready for this? He's being declared by the people, savior of the world. In those days, Caesar Augustus decreed, Savior of the people and the people worshipped him and gave him the title Dominus et Deus, meaning Lord and God. Luke 2, chapter 1, is saying to us that the Savior, capital S, of the world will come to a people who have a Savior, small s, and God, small g. Because this God has decreed it. No, because God, capital G, has decreed it. The most powerful man in the world was unknowingly a servant, or we could say a pawn in the hand of the holy God. Because thousand years prior to Mr. Augustus, the Lord Almighty has already decreed some things about this. We can read of it in the Old Testament, way before Jesus ever came in human flesh. Micah 5 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. You see, Jesus was born in Bethlehem because the most powerful man on the face of the earth declared that there's to be a of, and Joseph has to return home to Bethlehem. But what's more, Jesus will be born in Bethlehem because the sovereign Lord, the King of Kings, the ruler has already declared, declared it to be a thousand years prior, Jesus will be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah 7 records, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's the context. That's the backdrop to which Luke gives us this narrative. In the days of the Caesars, the gods, small g, Augustus, savior of the world, small s, a peace giver, um, Pax Romana. An enemy destroyer in those days, Jesus was born. The savior, God in flesh, glorious day, destroyer of our enemy of sin and death. The prince of peace, that's the setting. And so Mary and Joseph make this very long journey to Bethlehem, not because of Augustus, but because of the almighty God. The king of kings has declared it to be so. Glorious day. Glorious king is point number one. The glorious king was born is point number two. I'll pick up in verse six. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn it really is quite impossible for us to imagine Mary nearing the end of her pregnancy as she mounts a donkey and travels about 80 miles to Bethlehem. Verse six tells us that the time for birth is now. Birth doesn't wait for anyone. Just ask Bobby Hamlet's mom. Bobby was born somewhere in a gas station on US 1 down towards Dixon Boulevard. Boulevard. Let's pull in here. Right? Right? <laughs> Sam Lee. There's no place for Mary. There's no doctor. There's no midwife. It's Bethlehem's version of a gas station. It's the only thing available. It's time for the birth now. And I ask you to rightly view this scene not as kind of how we do culturally. Oh, isn't that cute? Baby in the manger. Oh, how cute, but awesome, glorious. That's how it's to be viewed. God came down. He left the glories of heaven, the infinite, Almighty God took on the limitations of humanity. The holy God came and subjected himself to human flesh. Christ, the creator of the world, born to a poor teenage girl. Christ, God, the Savior, came down. Praise God for this glorious birth. Kent Hughes writes, He says, as if the Son of God rose from his splendor, stood poised at the rim of the universe, irradiating light, and dove headlong, speeding through the stars over the Milky Way to Earth's galaxy, finally past Arcturus, where he plunged into a huddle of animals. Nothing could be lower. Jonathan Edwards also, he calls it the infinite condescension. Edwards writes his infinite condescension marvelous, marvelously appeared in the manner of his birth he was brought forth in a stable because there was no room for them in the inn the inn was taken up by others who looked upon as persons of who were looked upon as persons of greater account the blessed virgin being poor and despised was turned or shut out Though she was in such extreme circumstances, yet those that counted themselves her betters would not give a place to her. And therefore, in the time of her travail, she was forced to betake herself to a stable. Glorious day. When Christ left heaven's glory and he came in human flesh appearing. Thirdly, the glorious king brought to us Glorious Truths, picking up in verse number eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people for unto you. Is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Again, remember, remember the setting that Luke is recognizing. In those days, there's a Lord, small l, a God. He's thought to be holy and separate, set apart, um, Savior of all the people. In those days, here the angel is announcing, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heaven, the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those whom he is pleased. Try to imagine. You know, Advent announces this peace on earth. But have you noticed with all the talk of peace, with all the talk and chatter of unity, it evades us. There is so little peace, whether that would be on a world stage, or a national stage, or perhaps in our own living room stage. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're thinking, my life lacks peace. Where's the peace on earth that was announced and we mindlessly sing about every Christmas? Where is it? when wars and the horrors of war fill our screens every day. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, we sing, lying still. Well, it isn't lying still today. The president of Harvard recently said, we can send Christmas cards about love and peace all we want, but the human race is utterly incapable Of turning itself around. And she's right. She's right. And so again, how is Jesus the Prince of Peace? Where is the peace on earth? The peace that Christ offers, please understand, is an eternal peace. It's not a momentary peace. It's not a 20, 30, 50, 90, 100 years of peace. It is peace with God himself. It is an eternal peace. You see, in our sin, we are against God. We are opposed to God. We have rejected God. That's what sin is and does. We want to be the king. We want to be the king and we want to go our own way. And in that, we have separated ourselves ever since the Garden of Eden. We have been separated from God. Well, Christ comes, who is, Isaiah tells us, the Prince of Peace. Well, in what sort of way? Well, the Prince of Peace will lay down his life, paying for the price of our sins, thus making peace between us and God. Praise be to God. On this glorious day, the angel is announcing peace has come to the world, meaning the offer of salvation has come through this baby who will grow to be a man and will lay down his life for sinners. Peace. You see, the manger is filled with glorious truths. Jesus came to deal with the separation between man and God. Christ came to forgive me of my sins and to give me peace with God himself. Not a momentary peace, not a peace for the few years I live this side of eternity, but an eternal peace. He is the Prince of Peace. Bethlehem's truths tell us that we don't have to pretend that grief and sorrow and sadness are gone. We don't have to pretend that everything's just fine. We know that they're not. But the truth shows us that there's this baby laying in the manger and he has come to bear our griefs and to carry our sorrows. The shepherds were lowly people. They were considered to be just above the lepers in the day. In social status. And I like that. The announcement didn't come to the rich and the mighty. It came to those known as lowly and of little value. It's a micro picture of the life of Christ. And it's a micro picture of really the entire Bible. Remember, God came to a man. He was tending sheep in exile. His name was Moses. He became God's man to deliver God's people from the slavery in Egypt. Remember God came to a ruddy shepherd boy. Samuel says, bring, bring, the, bring the sons. No, not that one, not that one, not that one. None of these. Is there any more? Is there, is there not another? Well, there's a ruddy shepherd boy. It can't be him. Oh, it's him. Samuel anoints David to be king of Israel. Redemption is the story of nobody's. The story of the insignificant. The angel struck fear into these shepherds, verse 9, because he shined with the glory of God, and we can only try to imagine that moment. What is the message of the angel? Verse 10 I bring you good news of great joy for all the people. A child is born in the city of David. Oh, David, that guy prophesied of, a Savior, capital S, Christ, the Lord. Remember, Caesar is known as Lord and God. Christ, it means anointed one. Here's the glorious truth in the manger. This baby is the one who's been anointed for the task. What task was he anointed for? Well, it's the task of Savior, of Deliverer, of Redeemer. He's come to the world to deliver, to redeem. Redeem from what? Deliver from what? Anointed for what? You see, one would be Old Testament. One would be anointed to be priest. One would be anointed to be the king of the people. Samuel anoints David to be king. Well, this is Christ, the anointed one. He has come and he is anointed to serve like the Old Testament priest. Sort of. The Old Testament priests would bring sacrifices and and make sacrifice of an animal on behalf of the sins of the people and proclaim forgiveness. And the people continue to sin and more sacrifice and more sacrifice. Christ will come and he will be the priest of priests. And he will not offer an animal as sacrifice. The priest of priests, the king, Well, he will make himself to be the sacrifice. He will lay down his own life that we might be redeemed. This is what he was anointed for. That's what Christ literally means. Christ, Redeemer, Deliverer, Anointed One, Messiah, Savior of our sins, glorious day, glorious birth, glorious news, glorious Savior. That's not all the angel said. He said, Christ the Lord in verse 11. In that day of a powerful ruler, Luke is helping to record what the angel is pronouncing. In the day of a powerful, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, Christ the Lord has come. A king of kings. A king who came not to dominate over you like Caesar Augustus, but a king who came to serve you. A king who came not to crush you, but a king who came to be crushed for you. Anointed to rule by ruling over sin and death. He didn't come to look like a man. He came to be a man. And yet, he was God. Glorious day. Glory to the newborn king, we sing. A baby. With the limits of a baby. The cooing of a baby. The dependency and the weakness of a baby. And yet, he was God. God in the flesh. So we sing, Hark the herald, angels sing. Right? John or Charles Wesley, I'm not sure which, wrote these words. He got them right. (laughs) Glory to the newborn king. Let's do it together. Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn King, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconcile Joyful all ye nations ride, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born in Bethlehem. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Verse 2, let's keep going. Born to raise the sons of earth Praise you God To give him second birth Hark the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn king Amazing. It's amazing what God has done glorious day. Glory to the newborn king. The angels get it right. John will write in his gospel in chapter one, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The limits of humanity and the infinitude of the glories of God both existed in that baby. In Bethlehem are you confused having a hard time grasping that you should you should have a hard time grasping that because our created brains are not big enough for such glory too small thank you lord is right these profound glories go beyond our little created minds the limits of humanity and the infinitude of the glories of god together in that one baby. These glorious truths first came to the poor and needy shepherds rather than the strong and the independent of the day. Poor shepherds and poor Mary, nobody from nowhere. And Christ came to me, a nobody from nowhere. And Christ comes to you, the weak and the needy sinner. I'm not sure we can fully grasp the glory Of this moment. But clearly the host of angels grasped it. Verse 14. R.C. Sproul writes, This announcement of peace on earth is not the Pax Romana. That was the peace of the Augustus. That was the peace where he defeated the enemies by the sword. Christ will come and offer you the peace, not by taking life, but by laying his down for you. This announcement of peace is peace on earth is not the Pax Romana brought about by imperial decree, nor is it the cessation of warfare between rival groups. This peace is the transcendent peace, which brings an end to the conflict between man and God. To those who hear the message of the coming of the Messiah, the war is over. Peace has become incarnated in the Prince of Peace who came to reconcile us with God. Praise Him. Well, it leads us to point number four, the last point, and the worship team can join me. These truths make a glorious difference in life. It's verses 15 through 20. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem, right? Like, great idea. Who wouldn't? Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Or you might even say it like this, which the Lord has made known to us. Has the Lord made himself known to you, me, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. I bet they did. (laughs) And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things. Pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This scene is not a scene for us to passively observe. It's not a passive scene that we see in lawns this time of year. It's not a cute snow globe. It's not. It's not awe. It's cute. It's awesome. Glory, glorious day. We miss the point if we passively look at that scene and we say, wow, it's cute, it's kind of cool. Christ didn't come to be cute and cool. He didn't come to be a once a year spectacle. He came to be believed in as the savior of the world that he is. He came to be worshiped every day of our lives, worshiped with every breath that we breathe. We join with the shepherds, the lowly shepherds. We the lowly join with them as needy sinners and the host of angels worshiping our God. This glorious birth has been given that we might live our lives glorifying the Savior who has come. The Savior of the world is not a man like Caesar is a man. The Savior of the world didn't come to be a president, to be a Roman emperor. He didn't come to be the government, not a powerful world leader. He is the Savior of the world who came and was born in human flesh as a man that he might one day die in that flesh as a man. He came in blood. He will leave in blood. This scene calls, or I would say draws us, the poor and needy, just like those shepherds. Friends, I ask you, will you respond to the call of the manger, the glorious truths of the manger? Will you respond in a life of worship of him? This glorious day asks us of that. How will you respond to the call to the life of worship that we find at the manger? The Bible calls us. It helps us understand how do we respond to the manger? What are we supposed to do? The Bible helps us to see that we are to repent of our sin, turn from our sin, and embrace Christ, meaning trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. This repentance and faith sets us on a lifelong journey of living for him. Here's the thing. We're going to be here again next week as a church. We're going to be here next week. And we're going to be here the week after that. That'll be the, the first Sunday of the year. We're going to launch into a series on Daniel. We're going to be here. We're going to be here all next year. Um, we invite you to come. <laughs> Join with us. In this journey of faith, of worship, of glorifying him, because that's what the manger calls us to, like those shepherds. Listen, if you're here this morning and you live locally here, whether it be Trinity or another local church, find a local church where you can worship the Lord together in community. If you're from out of town, thanks for being here. All of you, thank you for being here. We're so thrilled that we could worship the Lord together with you this morning. If you're from out of town and you don't have a home church, go home and find one. Find your church. Find your community where you will worship the Lord together. That's what the manger calls us to. That's what verse 20 calls us to. So I ask you, will you respond today? I and we have been praying that you will. Father God, we just thank you so much for the brief opportunity this morning, it being Christmas Eve, for us to reflect and consider Luke chapter 2 this morning. Lord God, pray for all who are here and contemplating and wondering, or perhaps they're here and lacking peace and still wondering, what is Tim even talking about? Lord, I pray that you would help each one, Lord, on this journey of faith, Lord, this journey of worship. Lord God, I pray, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing together, worship the Lord together, and then I will share a benediction.